Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This October, we're taking a walk down memory lane and revisiting some of our greatest hits in the lead-up to our monumental 200th episode. We've got nearly four seasons' worth of goodies. Which ones will make the cut? I'm up first, and I'm talking about a pie that couldn't have been any sweeter and has remained a constant favorite of mine, both to make and to eat. And we'll check in with some of our listeners for their all-time favorites. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. All month long, we are revisiting our greatest hits in the lead up to our official 200th episode. Now, we've said it before that we've technically recorded more than 200 because of the way that we used to number the episodes, but the big 200, as in will show up as number 200 in your podcast feed, is coming up at the end of this month. So, We have a really fun month put together of nostalgia and fun things about the show over the years. And you know one fun thing about this show, Andrea? That's got to be all of the amazing alliteration. (laughs) So here are some of the best over the last four seasons. Well, starting with one of my favorites, Such Sussex Success, (laughs) episode 73.5, Pretzel Problems, episode 85, Circular Celebration, episode 99, and Tipsy Treats. That was episode 102, and in fact, the whole month. That's right. Bonkers for Bobka Buns, episode 117, (laughs) and in case that wasn't enough, the bonus Bobka (laughs) bake-along. Crackers of Consequence, episode 124, Posh Pop-Tarts, episode 125, Completely Corny, episode 127, and again, the whole month. Merry Marshmallows, episode 154, and one of my final favorites, Terrific Tiramisu, episode 164. You know, we have such a good time naming the episodes. It's uh, (laughs) it's a joy and a delight constantly. But we didn't stop there because many of our mini segments also had amazing alliteration. Who could forget? Bumper Crop Bonanza, Tasty Toponyms, Delicious Dilemmas, Bake Sale Bonafides, And, of course, Andrea, every time there is a fifth Monday in a month, we have our bonus blue ribbon. But what do you think started all of this amazing alliteration, Andrea? That was three A's in a row, by the way. Uh, Where do you think it all began? (laughs) Well, maybe just with the title of our show. Is it Preheated Podcast? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Bingo. There you go. I didn't even think of that one. That is even before the one I was going to reference, which was in episode two, a mini segment called the Stock Up Spiel. And, you know, Stock Up Spiel is just as relevant today as we are starting fall, because if I remember correctly, that was all about how to stock your fall pantry and fridge for fall baking. It was, and kind of taking advantage of baking sales that historically kind of start around now and then go through the holiday baking season and why it can be a really great idea to, yeah, to take advantage of that. So go back and listen to episode two. 
Stefan, all month long, we're going to be talking about our greatest hits, and I get to go first. We are going to talk about a pie. It came from episode 112. I awarded it my season three blue ribbon, (laughs) and that is the fresh pear pie. It came to us via the Spruce Eats website, Mm -hmm. and the recipe developer is Diana Rattray. And uh, Stefan, do you remember this pie? I remember this pie. I remember this episode, which speaking of alliteration, I believe it was called Pies, Pears, and Predicaments because there was a big mystery revealed in this episode because your pie had mysteriously disappeared from your church. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which have we ever solved this like I feel like we should have come back to this mystery over the years and has it ever been solved to your satisfaction or will it be you know forever a question mark it remains forever a question mark and I also went back and listened to this episode which you were very close on the title it was actually pears pastry and predicaments it okay. could have been if we had wanted four peas we could have thrown in another <laughs> but <laughs> mm, should have thought of that we limited ourselves One thing we talked about in that episode was which pears were best for cooking. And I think both you and I went to our local market, found what was available, did a mix, and crossed our fingers and hoped it worked. Mm -hmm. And both of us had great flavor results with this pie, but both of us had super juiciness. Yeah. So I did do a little bit of research as a follow-up, and uh, Susan over at the Good Housekeeping Institute, one of my favorite websites, has a quick little article called, Which Pears Are Best for Cooking? Okay. She said, Bosque and Anjou are the tops at holding their shape Mm -hmm. and their texture, Mm -hmm. and in a pinch, Bartlett's and other varieties will work as well. Okay. However, she then says, avoid comice pears (gasps) for cooking. That's what I used. That's what you used. (laughs) Yes. Now, and what she says is their tender, juicy flesh completely falls apart when baked whole or used in pies. And then she said, smaller pears, such as seckle and forel, Mm. are fine for cooking, but take longer to peel and core because of their size. Sure. I think I've heard of a seckle pear, but I've certainly never even heard of a forel pear. So that was kind of exciting. I loved, we both loved the flavor of this pie. I mean, it's one reason that it was always so high on the lists over the years, why you awarded it your blue ribbon for the whole season. That was not the problem. And in fact, I don't even remember the texture being a problem so much. It was just that they were very, very liquidy. We both had to drain off some of the extra juice. Andrea, have you, over the years since we made this the first time, have you solved that problem anymore in subsequent bakes? I hesitate to use the word solved, <laughs> but I have not had that problem in subsequent base. Okay. Now, it's possible that I have bumped up my flour or my thickener a little bit. And not really made a note of it just because I knew what had happened. Yeah. It's also true that I do believe I have made this pie once or twice for myself. But what I've done most with this pie is make it to give it away because I love it so much. And so Mm -hmm. my local garden-raised urban bounty organization, otherwise known as Grub, (laughs) they have a auction every year and I baked a pie every year for it. And so... This was a pie that I've done a couple of years in a row when, you know, fall comes around and people are asking for donations or asking someone to bring a dessert. I have brought this pear pie. I like it at the holidays as well. 
it's kind of nice to have at Thanksgiving when you're not expecting to see it. Mm-hmm. I've definitely made it multiple times. I have not had the super liquidy problem that I had the first time that I made it. And, you know, we both just tipped it to the side and drained it off and went on from there. And yeah. it was remains so delicious. I think you're right. You know, when we introduced this pie and it originally was in episode 112, we had done some food history. And in America, before the ubiquitous all-American apple pie, actually the all-American pie was the pear pie. Most people uh, were growing pears and it was a very easy to get your hands on crop. So I thought that was a really interesting part of doing this recipe too, was the food history inherent. And you're right. It's just a pie. I mean, Andrea, you famously do not like baked apples, do not like cooked cooked apples. And so this one was really great for you as an alternative to that kind of an apple pie fallish warming flavors. It's true. And I have never gotten over my mm, dislike is too strong of a word. I just don't love baked apples. I love raw apples, but for some reason I don't love baked apples. Yeah. But I love baked pears. <laughs> there is something about it. Maybe it's because I love the texture of a raw apple and that is obviously lost when you bake it. Right. But I don't necessarily, uh, you know, the texture, I don't want a crunchy pear. I want a yeah, right. soft, silky, smooth pear if I'm eating it raw. And so then having that silky smoothness in a baked pear feels right to me. Yeah. And that's that's the word that kept coming up in our original review. Andrea was silky. Mm-hmm. The filling was so smooth and so silky. And you, the original time we made it, you had substituted cardamom for cinnamon. Is that something that you still do when you make this pie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think... Mm-hmm. Why did I ask? Yes. Well, I, and two reasons. Number one, you know that I'm not a huge cinnamon fan. Yeah. But more importantly, I just think pear and cardamom taste so good together. And I also feel like cardamom is a bit of an unexpected flavor and an unexpected spice. You know, it's funny. I really think doing preheated is what opened my eyes to cardamom. And now I am seeing it more. It might be because I'm looking for it more. Yeah. But I also feel I see it, I see it more on restaurant menus or on recipes. I mean, I even got the book cookbook called The Cardamom Trail that came out. A couple of listeners had recommended that to me. Oh, yeah. I use cardamom whenever I can. And I think with pear, it's a really great flavor combination. One of the things I said in that episode that I have not been successful at I made the comment about how much I loved the raw filling, and I was just eating the raw filling, you know, the pear and the sugar and the cardamom. Yeah, yeah. And I said I was going to look for a dessert that duplicated that, but I really never found a raw pear dessert. I did some research on raw desserts, and what I tended to find was things that are made for people who are dairy-free, and so they're eating raw mm-hmm. as more of a dietary. Okay. I was just looking for raw in terms of a unbaked flavor component. So listeners, I'll still throw that out there. If you've got any ideas for raw pear, or perhaps I should say unbaked pear desserts, go ahead and let me know about it. You know, couldn't you just eat the filling? Well, sure. I mean, it was yeah. so delicious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, I, I, I could. Um, it's not real pretty right. if you wanted to serve it. Yeah. I mean, especially with the flour on it, you know, it's a little bit clumpy and bumpy. True enough. Could I more artfully slice the pears and sprinkle them with sugar and cardamom? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know what was funny about that episode as well when I was listening back to it is we learned all about pie etiquette in that episode because... 
unbeknownst to us, until that point, there is a correct way to eat your pie. And Andrea, do you remember that you are supposed to eat a pie with a fork if it's not with ice cream, but with a fork and a spoon if it is? Well, I laugh so hard when I listen back. Here were two things that I said I would follow up on that I never did. And the one was the one I just mentioned, the unbaked pear dessert that I was going to search out. But number two was I thought to myself, I'm going to try and eat a pie or at least eat a slice of pie the correct way, which was taking your fork in your left hand and stabbing the pie and then using your spoon in your right hand. And I never did that. (laughs) I'm one of those can barely walk and chew gum kind of people anyway. So the idea of Using both implements on my pie didn't appeal to me. And I really laughed when I heard you say that not only would it be a challenge for you in terms of holding your utensils, but what about the fact that you were also holding the refrigerator door open with your hip as you dug into that pie? That made me laugh. Oh, that is so true. And especially with this fresh pear pie, I would be happily eating it straight out of the fridge. Andrea, the other pie predicament that was going on in that episode, which also made me laugh, is that we reported on the hard-hitting news out of New York City that key lime pie may not have been created in Key West, Florida, but in fact had been created on the factory floor of the Borden Condensed Milk Company in New York City. And, you know, that remains just a a raging debate, I guess. I I haven't followed up on that one. That was funny. That was from Stella Parks from Brave Tart. And yeah, it made me laugh because at the end of the article, she said what I said, which was, I think she was asked, would you still eat the key lime pie from Florida versus the key lime pie from New York? And she said, are you kidding? <laughs> of course. I mean, it's just pie. I'm going to eat whatever you put in front of me. P- yes. Pie should make you happy. And I thought, yes, <laughs> that is that is my kind of philosophy around pie. <laughs> yeah, definitely our motto as well. Well, remember, we'll have a link to the recipe for the fresh pear pie from Diana Rattray via the Spruce Eats for this episode, which is episode 197. And the original episode and the pear pie appeared in episode 112. And all of that's on our website, preheatedpodcast.com and in our Facebook group. Stefan, now we're going to transition from our favorites over to some of our listeners' favorites. We will start off with one that we already mentioned as one of our alliteration favorites, and that is the bonus babka bake-along. <laughs> Listener Rebecca submitted this one as one of her favorites. It was a special companion episode to episode 116 and 117, and the fun thing about it was that we recorded it together yeah. in your kitchen. Yes. And so I re-listened to this yesterday, and I was laughing so hard <laughs> because I just think there's no better episode to highlight how differently you and I approach <laughs> a recipe. <laughs> I re-listened as well, and the thing that jumps out most to me was actually, I think, something you said not in that episode, but maybe a few episodes later. We were measuring ingredients, chocolate, butter, different things, and we were weighing them on my kitchen scale. And you dropped the bombshell that if something is, you know, 120 grams, you're happy with like 118 or 123. And so you were staring at me while I was measuring because I would, you know, shave off like a tiny curl of butter (laughs) or take out one shard of chocolate to get to the precise measurement. 
in the show notes for the episode, I think we say, you know, will it be carnage in the kitchen when we actually bake together? But it ended up being one of my most favorite things that we've done in four years and was an absolute blast. And my favorite moment was when I wanted to set aside the filling mixture of chocolate and butter with a metal whisk in it and just push it to the side. And mm-hmm. you can tell upon re-listen, this really disturbed you. you, you you're uncomfortable leaving a dairy product sitting out at room temp, and you really didn't like the idea of that metal whisk sitting in your filling. And that just... I thought was a delight when I listened back to that. I thought, you know, these themes have come up again as we talk about our recipes. And yeah. we do have recipe developers who listen to our show and they often say things like they enjoy listening to our show because we point out things that the average person thinks about and they might not think about those sort of things. Yeah. And that's a really good example. I think that did they say room temperature or was it one of those things where they didn't say to refrigerate it and so we just had to guess? Or it had been warmed but had to come down to room temperature maybe That's because we was. had melted the chocolate mm-hmm. and we were just kind of waiting for it to be a little cooler, something like that. No, you know, it's so funny to dissect this because in my memory, it's not that it was a dairy product at room temp. It was that I had visions of that whisk. Like, you know how, because they're kind of top heavy. And so it would like flip out onto the counter and like splatter everywhere. That's, it was the mess. It was the mess that was the issue. I'm sure of it. And (laughs) my husband often, when he walks into the kitchen and there is some huge mess from some little mini disaster, he always says to me, how did that happen? And it's not until this moment that I realized, oh, there's people who anticipate those moments. (laughs) And I'm trying to get better about it. I have, for example, a really bad habit of going into my pantry and pulling out my huge flour canister and just taking a scoop or a teaspoon or whatever it is that I need Uh while I also am holding the bowl that it's going into in my other hand. And lately when I've been doing that, I've thought, This is a really good way to let my flour canister slip out of my hands and fall on the floor and have flour go everywhere. And it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But I also haven't changed my behavior yet. I have realized that it's got potential for disaster. Okay. That's probably the first step. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) The first step is admitting you have a problem. Well, the other really cool thing about the Bonus Bobka Bake Along is that it was actually a 19 for 19 baking resolution that had been submitted by listener Christine. Yes. And she had said we would really like some live audio. And we thought that would be a really fun challenge. And, you know, on the back end of things, it did present some different um, issues for us, but nothing that couldn't be surmounted. And, you know, Andrea, also we recorded If You Like Us Together, which is a rare thing. We also had an episode called Reunited in London, which was episode 49.5. Yes. And then again, we did episode 90 together, Sensational Stone Fruit, and that was actually at your place. That's right. So there are options if you want to hear Stefan and I recording from the same room at the same time, then you have three different options. So we hope you enjoy all of those as much as we did. You know, uh, when I think about those last two we just mentioned, we had to share a microphone. And I consider you, you know, like one of my very best friends. And it was this strangely intimate experience to be like both coming up to the microphone at the same time. <laughs> and we couldn't do that now. So it's oh, a true. Good thing, good thing we got that out of the way, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Good thing we, we had that intimate moment before... Um, <laughs> 
the world had a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. So yay us. <laughs> Well, Andrea, another favorite that won't be a surprise to most people is more recently the Donut Loaf, Shauna Seaver's Donut Loaf. That was episode 174. That was just, um, you know, last spring. And what a winner that has been. It was a huge win with both of us. It was during our sweet and sour month of April. I'm looking at that now. We got to talk about nutmeg toxicity. Yes. We got to talk about the shower of confectioner's sugar and rolling the loaf to look like a donut. It was a hilarious review and still is, I think, something that's getting a lot of chatter in our community. Yes. And I had a couple of follow-up items on this episode as well. One thing is that when we used the recipe for donut loaf, we found one that was available on the internet. And in the recording of the episode, you made the comment that the recipe didn't have the grams, and that's a challenge for you these days because you yeah. weigh most of your ingredients. Mm-hmm. Well, as listeners in our Facebook group know, I have, since this episode, purchased the Midwest Made Cookbook. Right. And I want to tell you that it does have the weights in the actual cookbook. Oh, great. Yes. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I don't know why that particular internet link that we used didn't have the grams. Maybe it was just more of a U.S.-based publication and they thought, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't need this. Our listeners, uh, our readers don't use this. But we certainly do. And I cannot give enough accolades to this cookbook, Midwest Made. I have made the giant peanut butter cookies probably at least once a week since I've gotten the cookbook. (laughs) They are gluten-free. They are fabulous. Everyone who tries them loves them, and so that's something that's on my permanent repertoire. I've made a couple of breads from her. I've made a nut roll, and I saw that one of our listeners this week made the apple cake, and that looked really good and really delicious. Yes, so big thumbs up for Midwest Made. Steph and I found this episode a little bittersweet because when we recorded it, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, and... I had made the donut loaf, but I wasn't able to give it away. Yeah. That wasn't a problem. Don't get me wrong. My family took care of it. Yeah. <laughs> In my head, I thought, oh, I'll make this next time someone needs a dessert from me. And my two major places for giving desserts away were church and my daughter's school. Yeah. And unfortunately, since April, neither of those have reopened for me. So yeah. I have not made the donut loaf again just because it is so good. I know my family can demolish it in a day or two, and I didn't think it was wise to have it in my house again unless I could give it away. How about you? Have you revisited that recipe and made it again? It's funny that you say that. I had not really put it together, but I felt much the same way that, you know, I think this was gone in about half a day from my kitchen. So again, we would have no problem getting rid of it. But should we is the other yes. other question. Mm-hmm. It's the same. I'm just not sharing food in the in the same way. I wonder if this is a recipe that could be halved. What do you think about that? Well, I certainly think it could because when I went back and listened to the recipe, I had kind of forgotten this detail. But instead of making one big loaf, I had made three mini loaves. That's right, and then two super mini loaves. So I ended up with five little loaves. Yeah. And so when I say it can be halved, at least in terms of baking a smaller amount, that worked really well. Yeah. I don't have the ingredients right in front of me, so I can't say for sure how easy it might be. You know, sometimes you'll have something like three eggs and that, that can be a little tricky. Right. But 
otherwise, I think it would be just fine. Yeah, and I just dearly loved it with raspberry jam because it was just like a jelly donut. And it was insanely good. It was one of the best things we made in this season for sure. Yes, yes. And we both simplified it by not putting the powdered sugar over the entire thing. And I noticed a couple of our listeners went that route as well. So if you just sprinkle the top with powdered sugar, you still end up with something reminiscent of a powdered sugar donut. And for me, it's the flavor, which again goes back to that nutmeg. I still can't believe how much nutmeg is the key in terms of recreating that powdered donut flavor. Yeah, I had never stopped to consider what that flavor really was. And that's exactly what it was. It was nutmeg. Yeah. And it's delicious. Yeah, that is a winner and a keeper. And that was in episode 174. And listener Karen is the one who suggested that for one of her very favorites. But I know it's been very popular with with so many. Thanks, Karen, for the reminder, because just re-listening to that episode made me remember how much I loved that donut loaf. It is definitely a keeper. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Next week, I'll be up with the first of my greatest hits. Hint, it's been in heavy rotation around my house ever since we reviewed it back in season one. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find more of Anne-Marie at annemarierussell.com or on Amazon or iTunes. And if you like our show, please rate, review, and recommend us that's more alliteration, on your favorite (laughs) platforms. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening. Be well and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.